This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Blobbert Blowcamp, personal <laughs> finance expert here at the Motley Fool. You forgot I don't know. about the cramp part. Blow cramp is what they used to call me in school. Oh, <laughs> could be worse. Uh, I hey, guess. I don't hey, know. Hey, bro. How you doing? Cramp? That was another one. God, fine. Fine, Allison. Thank you very much. <laughs> I Mrs. don't go pretzel. to therapy every week to get over the nicknames. Thank you. <laughs> Did anyone call you Pretzel as a kid? Yeah, all the time. I always got that. Because my maiden name is Presler. So yeah, that's why. Otherwise, it would be weird. Okay. So anyway, in this week's episode, (laughs) I'm going to share three investing lessons and a new look for The Motley Fool. And Bro is going to talk about five ways the pandemic is weakening retirement security in America. You know. Such happy news. Happy news. stuff. All that (laughs) and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, Allison, what's up? Well, bro, you'll notice things are looking a little different here at The Motley Fool. We have a new logo, which we launched on our birthday, June 30. For many years now at The Motley Fool, we've been talking about how perhaps Elvis, that was the name of our old logo, perhaps he didn't reflect the diversity of our community and that having a logo be a blue-eyed man in a jester cap would maybe make someone who wasn't a blue-eyed man in or not wearing a gesture cat feel welcome with no teeth with no teeth (laughs) it's true he didn't have teeth and remember that one time i put it in like paint and i drew little teeth it was so creepy it made it worse you're right okay well anyway so there were a few problems with our previous logo even though it served us well for a very long time so we enlisted the help of luke Heyman and shigeto akiyama over at pentagram um it's a design agency in new york we reached out to them over a year ago and they helped us come up with the new logo and we ended up with a logo that you'll see at the top of fool.com you'll see it uh, a variant of it in our show's icon. It's a two-bell jester cap and snuggled in between the F and L above the O's. You'll see the little jester cap making a little face. It's all very clever and amazing. Rick, don't you love the new logo? I love the new logo, even though it still has no teeth. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't make sense to have teeth anymore, I suppose. Occasionally has eyeballs. Yeah. Rick actually worked a lot. Um, he was part of the team that helped work on uh, developing the new logo and working with Pentagram. So I was hoping I could get him to say some nice things about it, but I think I caught him with a little bit of sandwich in his mouth. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> I, I've been advocating for a new logo for a very long time. So it's really nice to see something that's simple, even just from a design perspective, it's so much more flexible and fun. There's some little animations with little blinking eyes uh, that we can do if we want to. Um, it's all kinds of colors. Mm-hmm. So. It is very colorful and happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it does a great job of reflecting who we are going forward. And it looks really good on the swag. It does. It looks so good on the swag. So, of course, we couldn't just launch a new logo without having some fun. So we circled the Motley Fool's birthday on the calendar, June 30. Uh, it's our 27th birthday. And we planned some hijinks. Before we announced our real new logo, we decided to create some other somewhat problematic new logos, quote, new logos, and announce those um, as our new logo on our site to see what our members thought. So our first failed, we'll admit it, failed logo was a big green claw, Mark M. And it's funny, it looked a lot like Monster Beverages logo, a lot which many people on social media let us know. More than a few people emailed us to say our logo was just plain awful. 
Um, or if they did recognize the similarities with Monster Beverage, they let us know that we were committing trademark infringement. Um, but if we're going to deliver market shredding returns in even the gnarliest of conditions, shouldn't our logo reflect that? No. Okay. All right. Never mind, we said. Forget that old logo that maybe looks a bit like Monster Energy Drink. Uh, how about this logo, which looked a lot like Netflix's logo? Again, people let us know that we were idiots and stealing another company's logo. Okay, we said, forget that logo. What about this logo, which happened to look a lot like Amazon's logo? So at this point, people still thought we were dumb enough to commit trademark infringement three times in a row. But some of our more savvier fools on social media were catching on that maybe we were sort of doing uh, spoofs of logos of some of the best performing stocks that we recommended. And they were not too far off target there. As we revealed the next day, Monster, Netflix, and Amazon had three valuable investing lessons to impart that we have learned over the last 27 years. And I want to thank Rich Grievener, he's an analyst at The Motley Fool, for compiling those lessons for our members, which I'm going to share with you right now. So let's start with Monster. Oh, boy. It's easy to hate on that logo, but it's hard to argue with that company's returns. Known for its highly caffeinated energy drinks, Monster has been the market's best performing stock over the last 25 years. I'll say that again. Monster Beverage has been the market's best performing stock over the last 25 years. That's amazing. Increasing 233,000%, turning $10,000 into more than $23 million. But it's unlikely that many investors were able to capture those incredible gains because Monster endured extreme volatility on its journey to 100,000 bagger status. And holding on through the rocky ride was not for the faint of heart. As our foolish friend Morgan Housel noted in his excellent article, The Agony of High Returns, Monster's stock suffered four separate drops of 50% or more. It lost more than two-thirds of its value twice and more than three-quarters once. So the first investing lesson here with Monster is that successful investing entails more than just simply identifying great companies. We must have the courage, conviction, and temperament to hold those great companies through turbulent times, such as the breathtaking volatility we've experienced. Our second fake logo spoofed the red block lettering and of streaming uh, entertainment king Netflix. Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner first recommended Netflix to our members as a buy in 2004. Over the years, David continued to recommend that members invest in Netflix, even as the company strengthened its competitive advantages and its share price soared ever higher. In 2013, David recommended Netflix once again at a price 13 times higher than his original cost basis. Netflix share price is up 1,200% from that point. Which brings us to our second lesson. When a stock has enjoyed a big run-up, it's easy to feel like we've missed the boat. And when the whole market has taken a hit, it's hard to know which companies we want to buy more of. But David believes that winners tend to keep winning, and truly exceptional companies like Netflix can grow to far greater heights than most investors can imagine. Our third fake logo was a hastily assembled parody of Amazon.com's smiling yellow arrow. Amazon began in 1994, of course, as a simple online bookseller based out of Jeff Bezos' garage, but today the company is a juggernaut in retail with rapidly growing high-margin cloud computing business and a market cap of over $1 trillion. Looking back, it feels as if Amazon's success was inevitable, but that wasn't always the case. 
In a famous May 1999 cover story titled Amazon.bomb, Barron's listed a litany of reasons why Amazon would fail. The scariest threat of all came from, who did it come from, bro? I have no idea. Barnes and Noble? Walmart. Walmart. Rick got it. Once Walmart, this is quote, once Walmart decides to go after Amazon, there's no contest. Retail trend Kurt Barnard told Barron's. Walmart has resources Amazon can't even dream about. Walmart probably could have crushed Amazon if it had made a concerted effort to do so, but Walmart didn't think the fledgling market for online books warranted its attention. The mistake that Barron's and Walmart made was viewing Amazon for what it was at that time, not what it could become. No one could have predicted Amazon's business model metamorphosis into categories like cloud computing and artificial intelligence, but it wasn't hard to see that Amazon was fanatically focused on customer satisfaction with a brilliant entrepreneurial CEO. Those attributes gave Amazon optionality, multiple plays to win as the world came online and consumer needs evolved. So our third and final lesson we wanted to impart is that in both business and life, it pays to be optimistic. The experts, quote experts, failed to see that Bezos had a vision for Amazon beyond selling books. And as the CEO of your life, strive to remain focused on your long-term vision for yourself, your family, and your wealth, especially during these trying times. Um, So again, I want to thank Rich Griefner because I basically just read his article verbatim. (laughs) Thanks for doing my homework, Rich. So after ditching the spoofed monster Netflix and Amazon logos, we announced that we actually do have a new logo here at The Motley Fool. I hope you like it or at least don't hate it. Um, a lot of fine fools, like I said, including Rick, work hard on it, and I promise it will grow on you. Uh, we do have a new online store at shop.fool.com where you can buy shirts, hats, etc. And the last thing I'll say is that while our look has changed, I promise you not much else has or will change around here, especially when it comes to our long-term focus and buy and hold and investing philosophy. And of course, investing together as a community. And that, bro, is what's up. Retirement is a relatively recent invention. When you look back at the year 1900, the average retirement age was 76. However, most Americans didn't actually live that long. So if you actually made it to like 65, you lived just another like 11 or 12 years on average. So retirement didn't last very long. However, as the 20th century progressed, we started living longer and retiring sooner, which means theoretically, we should have been saving more and more over our increasingly shorter careers to pay for retirements that have grown in some cases to span decades, but that's not what most people are doing. So despite research showing that workers should be saving approximately 15% of their incomes for retirement, most Americans aren't saving that much. How much have average Americans saved? Well, Trans America survey released in May provided estimated median retirement savings according to generation. So for millennials, the median savings is 23000 For Gen X, the median savings is 64000 And for the boomers, the median savings is 144000 And that doesn't sound like very much, but here's the kicker. Those figures are as of the end of th- 2019, before the virus crisis turned the world upside down. So thanks to the pandemic panic, many investors actually have less now. Uh, But a possible lower portfolio value is just one way that retirement planning is more challenging after one of the most sudden economic disruptions in history. In fact, there are five ways that America's overall 
retirement security has become even more imperiled over the past few months. Let's take a look at each one, shall we? Yeah, let's start with number one. Let's, that's a <laughs> great place to start. Uh, so number one, we all know this one. We actually know all these, but here we go. Number one, unemployment has skyrocketed. So over the past 15 weeks, almost 50 million Americans have filed for unemployment insurance. It's almost Unbelievable. like, un- it's incomprehensible. Fortunately, many have gone back to work. So last Thursday, the Labor Department announced that the unemployment rate dropped to 11.2% in June, down from 13.3% in May. So that's good news. However, that 11.2% is still the highest rate since 1940. Now, when you lose your job, you obviously tend to stop saving for retirement. You have more important things to take care of. Plus, you no longer have access to a 401k, and people who have access to a retirement plan at work are much more likely to save. Um, But even those who have jobs still are not saving as much because many workers have seen their pay cut and have reduced their savings as a consequence. And many employers have reduced or eliminated their 401k matches. And then finally, a survey from Bankrate found that 14% of Americans have taken money from their retirement accounts during the crisis, and another 13% plan to do so, many because they need the money due to losing their jobs. So many people are going to have much less saved for retirement just looking at the IRAs and 401ks. Did we just talk on the show about how people, some people are actually saving more? So it seems like this is another opportunity to just even more create even more of a divide between those who have a lot of money and those who are just scraping by. Yeah, there's no question. So you, what you're talking about is the personal savings rate, yeah. which um, is a little different than what you save in your retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was it was a combination of looking at what people had in their bank accounts for the people who lost their jobs. For many people, in fact, most of those people, their unemployment ban- benefits were actually higher than when they were working, uh, and they weren't spending as much money. So you really look at it as like at what happened to people's bank accounts. But even in those situations, right, let's say you're out of a job and your unemployment benefits are higher than when you were working, you're still not likely to then put that money in an IRA when you can't put it in a 401k because you're no longer working. So despite the fact that some of these people are actually up to now are doing okay, they're probably not putting it towards their retirement savings. And they're possibly looking towards the end of July when the extra $600 from the federal government is going to stop. There are talks now about extending that, probably not 600 maybe like 300 or something like that. I certainly hope that will happen because if you ask me, I think uh, the gains we saw in jobs in, in uh, last month, I think some of those are going to go away as some of the economies, especially in the South and the West, start to realize that maybe they opened up a little too soon and they're going to start shutting things down. So that's the first one. Second reason why retirement planning is going to get more challenging is that many stocks are still down. Um, so we, you know, now we're going to look at what's in all these accounts that we just talked about. Uh, depending on the type of stocks you own, this, this year surprisingly could be very good for you, especially many of the Motley Fool members to our services who have invested in a lot of the companies that have done very well. But for many other people, your portfolio still could be in the red. So let's take a look at where some of the indexes are as of the close of the market on July 2nd. NASDAQ star of the year, up 14% so far this year. Amazing. Every other index down, even if it's slightly. So the S&P 500 down 3% for the year. The Dow and international stocks down about 10% for the year. Small caps down 14%. Value stocks getting... Uh, having still significantly down almost 20%, partially because when you look at a typical value index or fund, they're more weighted towards energy and financial services, which have been the two worst performing sectors 
this year. We all knew about energy, but even if you look at the banking stocks, the banking stocks have taken a hit. The Federal Reserve did its stress test um, last month, told banks they can no longer buy, at least the biggest banks, the 30 biggest banks, told them you can't buy back your shares, so you can't do any share buybacks for now, and you can only pay your dividend uh, according to a formula based on earnings. So if you don't have enough earnings, you can't pay your dividend. So uh, banking stocks have been put on notice that things could get dicey there. So again, depending on how you've invested, you may still be down for the year. The NASDAQ is up though, but is that just because it's got so many of those tech stocks that have been kind of bulletproof here? Right. Large cap growth. That has been the asset of choice this year, but particularly over the last few years. And when you think of it, it's, it makes sense to a large degree because of the biggest companies are still going to do well, Amazon being the best example of that. Um, so yeah, that's that, I think it's partially for a business, a legitimate business reason, but I think it's also just there's a momentum there behind it where you people see what's holding up, what's doing well, and more people pile into it. And that's what always happens, right? Things keep, continue to do well until for some reason things change and it rotates out of that. When's that going to happen? I don't know, but that's the way it's been going. All right. Number three, interest rates at all-time lows. So let's consider your, the non-stock portion of your portfolio, which is probably cash and bonds. 2020 has been a remarkable year for many reasons, uh, but one is that it is the first year ever that the 10-year Treasury yield has dipped below 1%. You could go back as far as when George Washington was president, and you won't find another time when interest rates were as low as they are today. This does not bode well for the future returns on bonds, since when you look at the annualized bond performance over the subsequent decade or so, it's highly correlated to current interest rates. I'm going to give you a, a real-life illustration of this, because last month, the Fool's Early Retirement Service, of which I am the advisor, had its 16-year anniversary. And I looked at the very first article I wrote, and it happened to be about bonds. And I pointed out in that article that the Vanguard Intermediate Term Bond Index Fund, which is a mix of corporate bonds and treasuries and some government-backed bonds, um, back then, in 2004, it was yielding 5%. What was the fund's actual average annualized return over the subsequent decade? 6%. So pretty darn close. What's that fund yielding today? 1.2%. Now, if you want to take a bit more risk, you can find bond funds that are yielding between 2 and 3%. But the bottom line is that bonds will not return the 5 to 7% they have over the long term. So what does that mean for a diversified portfolio? Here's one example that I can't, I can't remember if I've mentioned this before on the show. But uh, in March of 2019, we did an episode on the 4% safe withdrawal rate with Wade Fow, who's considered one of America's uh, retirement experts. That 4% rule is based on portfolios that are invested 25% to 50% in bonds. In a recent article with thinkadvisor.com, he said, if instead of basing the 4% rule on historical returns, you base that on what bonds are likely to return, that 4% drops to just 2.4%, which makes sense, right? I mean, if half your portfolio is in something that is only yielding 1% or 2%, you cannot take as much out of your portfolio. Of course, you could avoid all this by not investing as much in cash and bonds and investing more in the stock market. But that means you're taking on more risk, which may or may not be appropriate for your situation. Number four reason why retirement planning is going to be more challenging, retirement benefits are further underfunded. So every year, the trustees who oversee the Social Security Trust Funds issue an annual report about the program's financial health. Since like the early 80s, uh, due to a commission headed by Alan Greenspan before he was the Federal Reserve Chairman, they knew Social Security was going to have trouble. So they came up with this plan, and Reagan approved it, 
It was basically, we're going to collect more in Social Security taxes. Social Security taxes went up, collected more than they actually needed, and they invested the rest in the trust funds. So it's basically these big savings accounts. But we've known for years that these savings accounts are going to be depleted. According to the current report issued in April, they're going to be depleted in 2035. And at that point, current payroll taxes are only going to be enough to pay 76% of benefits. Here's the kicker with that. That report was issued before the current crisis. With tens of millions of Americans not working, that's billions of dollars worth of payroll taxes not going into the Social Security program. According to an estimate from the Wharton Business School, the current crisis could accelerate the depletion of the trust funds by two to four years. And that's just Social Security, right? So many defined benefits, pensions, those classic things you work for the government or work for a company for 30 years, you retire, you get a check for the rest of your life. Many of them were already underfunded before we went into 2020. And now their situation is going to be worse um, because not only the portfolio performance we've seen so far this year, uh, many of the employers are going to be in a position where they're not going to be able to put in as much money. And they're going to experience lower future returns because on average, a pension has 20 to 25% of their assets in bonds, and they're going to have those low returns of bonds as well, which is why if you expect to rely on a pension in your retirement, you've got to stay up on its funding status. Uh, I was reading an article in Bloomberg. They were talking about the problems with a lot of the states, cities, and counties. The worst states, Illinois, New Jersey, and Kentucky, they only have enough assets to cover they only have one third of the assets they need to cover future obligations. I have no idea what they're going to do. They are going to either have to not honor their obligations or raise taxes significantly on the people who live there. And we'll see how happy those people are with that one. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they're going to be thrilled. Oh, thrilled. Absolutely. Finally, number five, taxes will go up. So as you likely know, Uncle Sam does not live below his means. In 2019, taxes and other revenue covered just 80% of the federal budget. To make up the difference, Uncle Sam had to borrow almost a trillion dollars. On June 10th of this year, the Treasury Department announced that the deficit had widened to almost $2 trillion for just the first eight months of this fiscal year, an all-time high. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that the deficit will reach almost $4 trillion by the end of this fiscal year. And by the way, the federal fiscal year ends on September 30th. The increase is due mostly to the various ways that Uncle Sam is trying to keep everything afloat, such as the CARES Act and the PPP loans and all those other initiatives. At some point, we're going to have to pay for all this, which means taxes are likely going to go up. In fact, according to current law, They'll definitely go up at the end of 2025, which is when the lower tax rates from the 2017 law are set to expire, at least for households. Corporations get to keep their tax cut, by the way. I don't know why they decided that, but regardless, taxes are going to- Really? You don't know why they decided? You have no no possible idea why they decided why it went that way. Yeah, I have some (laughs) theories too. Yeah. Anyways, (laughs) if and when they go up, that may reduce the amount of, that workers can save and increase expenses for retirees. And by the way, now is a great time to hedge against future higher taxes by contributing or converting to a Roth account. So especially if for some reason your income is lower this year, this is a great year to take advantage of Roth accounts. All right. So those are the five ways the pandemic will make retirement planning even more challenging for the average American. However, what's most important to you, dear Answers listener, is determining whether your plan is still on track. And to do that, you probably can guess what I'm going to say. You can use a range of retirement calculators on the internet. And I do think you should choose a few. Every single one's going to give you a slightly different answer. What you're looking for is a general consensus of whether you're on the right track. Now, when you use these calculators, 
you're going to have to input some assumptions about the future. And one of those will be what your portfolio will return. For guidance on that, we can turn to Vanguard's somewhat recently released 10-year projections for various asset classes. I say somewhat because they were released in the beginning of June, and they're based on where things were at the end of March, back when everything was still down. Since then, stocks have rebounded, become a little bit pricier. I'm sure if Vanguard were to do those projections today, they'd be lower than what I'm going to tell you right now. But still, I think they provide a good starting point than the most recent I could find, and I trust that the way they do it. So anyways, what does Vanguard expect between now and 2030? From US stocks, between 5.5% and 7.5%. So not horrible, but not near that 10%. And again, I bet if they were to do that today, I'd say they're probably going to say 4.5 to 6.5. But let's put in the middle there, let's say between 5 and 6%. Um, interestingly, they do expect the trends of what we've recently seen to reverse. So they expect small caps, value stocks, and international stocks to outperform large growth stocks over the next decade. In fact, what they expect to return the most? International stocks between 8.5 and 10.5%. I hope they're right because a good quarter of my 401k is in international stocks. The thing is, firms have been saying this for years. They I was going to say, they've been saying this for a we long haven't time. Seen it. it happened yeah. in 2017, yeah. but it hasn't happened in a while. But that's what they expect. Um, since REITs have come up, real estate investment trusts, in a couple of episodes this year, I'll just say that Vanguard expects 4 to 6% from REITs. So they do expect REITs to underperform the overall market. I assume because they know that office REITs, retail REITs, hospitality REITs are probably going to struggle. Um, looking at bonds, they expect 0.9% to 1.9% and cash 0.6% to 1.6%. And that's pretty much locked in. All the returns that I just said about stocks good deal of uncertainty. You don't know for sure what's going to happen. But we can feel pretty confident we're going to get low returns from cash of bonds. So what does that mean if you're using a retirement calculator? When I personally use it, I assume my portfolio, which is more than 90% stocks, is going to return about between 4 and 5%. I like to play it a little safer. If you have a significant portion of your portfolio in cash and bonds because you're near in retirement or you're just a conservative investor, I think it's safer to assume you'll get 35 and 4%. Um, I know people aren't excited about that, but it's better to assume lower returns and save more rather than banking on high returns, getting to the point where you're right before retirement and you didn't realize those returns. Uh, one other thing you're going to have to input when you use a retirement calculator is how much you're going to get from Social Security. Now, most retirement calculators will estimate it for you based on your current annual salary, but um, better it's actually better to get an estimate based on your actual earnings record which you can get by signing up for a My Social Security account. And that's the official name, My Social Security. I'm not telling you to sign up for a bro's Social Security account. <laughs> um, so and, you the number is... and the number is. Uh, and then you can get that at www.ssa.gov forward slash my account. SSA stands for Social Security Administration. So once you sign up for that, you'll see your earnings history and you'll get an actual number of your projected benefit. And I would say if you're in your mid-50s or younger, you should assume you're only going to get 75% of that. Of what's projected, just to see if I'll still be okay. Regularly recommend that you should hire a fee-only financial planner to give you an expert objective analysis once every five to 10 years, especially once you've reached your 50s and later, and as you close in on your target retirement date. Just find someone who charges by the hour. It probably will cost you a few hours. 
$250 an hour could cost you as much as, you know, $750,000, but I think everyone should do that every once in a while just to make sure you have all your bases covered. Hopefully, despite all this virus chaos, you'll find out that you're still on track and you can retire how when you want. But the bottom line, I would say for the average American is that they're going to have to work longer or if they're retired, consider returning to work at least part-time. Fortunately, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, even working an additional few years, even if it's just part-time, can have a very powerful impact on your retirement security. Well, that's the show. Uh, Before we sign off, we have a correction to make from last week. And when I say we, I mean, uh, bro, tell tell them the mistake we made. So we had a mailbag episode with a guest, Ross Anderson, very smart guy. Uh, But he did say that when you look at the expenses of a target retirement fund, um, that you see the expenses of what they're charging to manage that one fund. What they don't express are the expense ratios of the underlying funds within it. That was true years ago, especially when they first came out. These days, though, that's not usually the case, especially from the big companies of Vanguard, Fidelity, Tira Price, Schwab, all those folks. The expense ratio that you see when you look at them on their website or, or Morningstar, that is the all-in fee. So, for example, the Vanguard fund, if it says it's charging 0.14%, that is all you're paying. You're not paying an underlying fee charge on that. Just wanted to make sure everyone was aware of that. Yes, some of our eagle-eared listeners, uh, a few of you reached out. So thank you for reaching out. Um, If any other listener wants to reach out and tell us what we got wrong, they can do it by emailing us. Especially if it was someone else. Especially if it was... (laughs) You just want them to email us and tell us that they saw someone else do something wrong? Yes. Well, yes. Just better. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Our email is answers at fool.com. The show is edited. Shop.fool.com, Go buy some swag, people. Or don't. Whatever. I don't know. Hey, should, uh, we, uh, sh- should we ask our listeners what they want on a t-shirt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Drop us the line. Email us and let us know what you would like. I know I've heard uh, from at least one member over on Fool Live uh, that we need a golf shirt in there. We don't have a collared sort of golf shirt polo action. So uh, there's an idea that we need to work on. But yeah. I mean, specifically, which of Allison's or Bro's quotes need to go on the shirt? That's what I'm asking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Hopefully. know what you're talking about. If only a shirt could have a gif on it. That's yeah, true. Well, we got some that's, good gifts. We got that, some that's, good gifts. That, that is only a matter of time, man. Only a matter of time. I predict it in the future. Animated t shirts. It's going to happen. All right, let's reach out to the patent office and and get a hold of that one. Get, That's right. Get that one fast. Um, all right, so yeah, drop us a line. Answers at fool.com. Apparently, you can just email us about anything you want. So why not? Let's go <laughs> for Chris, it. Christmas traditions got me. Send them my way. <laughs> for Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.